Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3. And I've entitled our Bible study today, Digging Ditches. Digging Ditches. Now I realize that it's hard to remember Bible studies and sermons. Some of you have already forgotten what I said last week or two weeks ago or three weeks ago. So one of the tools that we as pastors use is we try to use phrases and even titles of messages to be a hook so that if you can remember the hook, then that will then lead you to other memories. So today you will for sure remember digging ditches. But if you just go a few weeks prior You'll remember the first study in this series was the battle belongs to the Lord. And that's easy to remember. We can remember that no matter what we face, large or small, the battle belongs to him. Walking in faith, we can trust him. And you'll then remember the battle belongs to the Lord will tie you to a verse that's specifically shared by David as he's fighting Goliath. So sometimes we have huge giants in our life to fight. And that's how we're entering into this new year, just understanding that the Lord is gonna fight our battles and we can trust him. Number two, remember, we learned about who we are. And we had a few words that were very easy to remember in that next study. We, we remember, uh, we, we learned that the vision of our church is what? When, disciple, and send. We can remember that. That's not hard to, re- that's not hard to remember. And it ties us into our history and to the passage of scripture in John chapter 12, verse 21, where we're just responding to people that know and maybe don't even know that they wish to see Jesus. That's our responsibility. Our responsibility is to see people one for Christ, built up in Christ, sent out for Christ so that he might be preeminent in our lives. And that's a foundation of this church, a pillar of this church. And then the next week, which was last week, we learned about the impossibility that a man by the name of Zerubbabel faced apathy and indifference among the people of God, but God sent him a word through the prophet Zechariah, and he told Zerubbabel, you're standing there in front of an impossibility, but it's not going to be by your might and not by your power, Zerubbabel, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And not only that, in the power of the spirit, remember, he's going to look at the mountain and he can speak to the mountain and say, who are you, O mountain? And we learned that that represented the significance of the problems that were beyond his ability. And many times that's exactly what God does. He either sends us into or allows us to be involved in something that's beyond our ability, which leads us to today and walking into a new year. And I know walking into a new year really just starts with a change in your calendar. You know, we buy, we get rid of the old calendar, we get a new calendar, but we can't let the significance of a new year pass us by because it represents everything that hasn't happened yet. It's like a blank slate. It's filled with opportunities and it's filled with possibilities. But if we don't walk into a new year expecting new things, wanting new things, striving toward new things by faith, abiding in Christ, well, then we're gonna miss out and it'll just be another year that passes by and we're just like, well, another year, another year. And before you know it, life's over. And none of us really wanna live that way. 
None of us want to waste our lives. None of us want to squander the days and the weeks and the months and the years of God. I, I mean, at the heart of every true born-again believer, but also every human being, you want to make a difference with your life, an eternal difference. You want to be able to timestamp in someone's life the image of Christ and his love. But if you don't choose, and I don't choose to make conscious choices daily, I mean repetitive, daily, conscious choices and decisions to press forward in him, to look up to him, to be expectant for a fresh work of his spirit, then we'll miss out once again. And so today, one of the ways you can walk into a new year is to learn how to dig ditches. And from our text today, we're going to learn exactly what that means and apply it in our lives. Now, I have already taught. We're not going to do a verse-by-verse study today. It's more of a topical study where we're going to take a couple of verses and really highlight them. However, I have taught through this book of the Bible verse-by-verse. So if you want to go back in and get context before and after, and I think we just started again on our radio ministry, we just started airing 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, and 2 Kings. So that's where we're headed in the radio. If you want to go back and listen to those, I would suggest you start with 1 Samuel, and then go 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. And we went through verse by verse many years ago on those books. And by the way, it was a study with, for, for me personally, it was a study through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and 1 and 2 Kings with Pastor Chuck Smith listening to him on cassette tape that caused me to fall in love with the Old Testament. So I had already loved the New Testament. That's where my pastor was teaching when I was born again. But when I started listening to the Bible from beginning, Genesis, Exodus, went all the way through. By the time we got to 1 Samuel with Pastor Chuck, I mean, I was just blown away. Like, it's one of those experiences, like, this stuff's in the Bible? This David guy is amazing. Oh, he also makes amazing failures, but the God of David is amazing. Or King Saul, or King Solomon, or the divided kingdom. It's fascinating stuff. Great to study and learn. And we're just going to look at this highlight in 2 Kings 3. And we're going to learn in 2023 that God wants us to be digging ditches. Look at verse 1 with me, 2 Kings. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned 12 years. So by the time we're in 2 Kings, the kingdom, after Solomon, the kingdom divided. And any division that's not dealt with is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And here we have divided kingdom, Israel and Judah, two different kings. And notice Jehoram is described in verse 2 as he did evil in the sight of the Lord. But he wasn't like his mother and father because he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Verse 3, nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin and he didn't depart from them. So as the Bible opens up in in chapter 3, Jehoram, uh, he's a horrible king, but he's not as bad as his dad, who was also a horrible king, but he's still pretty bad because he persists in sin, he's rebellious toward God, he's hard-hearted, and it says here, he didn't depart from sin. And I think before we even get into the rest of the text, there's a word from God for some among us today, and that is, it's not God's will for you to persist in your sin. That is not God's will. 
It's not God's will for you to be satisfied. Well, you know, I'm doing a little bit better than my dad or my mom. God doesn't want you to compare yourself to mom or dad. And praise God, none of us had Ahab, um, none of us had Ahab or Jezebel as mom and dad. Amen? Yes? And praise God for that. However, not everybody had the best upbringing. Not everybody was raised in the best home. And the work that God wants to do in your life through being born again is not merely a comparison to your parents. He wants to do a brand new thing in you. Generational change starts with you and what he's doing fresh in your life. Even in, your, in this moment now, change can be made among change. But you don't want this to describe you. You did evil on the side of the Lord. Oh, he wasn't as bad as Ahab and Jezebel, but he persisted. I mean, that's, here's the word. That's your problem. Your problem is you, you don't repent. Your problem is, is you aren't ready for God to do a new work. The problem is you're persisting and persisting and persisting in your sin. And it's not good. And receive the word of the Lord today. Notice verse four. Now Misha, the king of Moab, was a sheep breeder and he regularly played the king of Israel. That would have been Ahab. 100,000 lambs and a wool of 100,000 rams. Basically, verse four says he was overtaxed. And he was paying it, getting along with it. But when Ahab died, verse 5, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and he mustered all Israel. And he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I'll go up. I am as you are. My people is your people. My horses is your horses. And now Jehoshaphat's going to get in trouble because of this. You know why? Because the Bible says evil company corrupts good habits. So now Jehoram gets in trouble. He go, The unrighteous king, he now seeks out an alliance with a righteous king. And Jehoshaphat's going to get in trouble again because this is his pattern. He connects himself with, you could say, if you want to use language today, an unbeliever, and he's going to pay the price of hanging out with an unbeliever. So notice, it says in verse 8, which way shall we go? And he answered, by the way of the wilderness of Edom, where they pick up another king to join the alliance. And so the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army. So just mark that. This is about 37 miles of, of marching. It's a military. This is a battle scene. These are hardened men down in the Judean wilderness. It's hot. It's hard. And after seven days, they finally figure out there's no water. There's no water for the army. There's no water for the animals. And then the king of Israel, he freaks out and he says, alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. So remember the king of Israel, Jehoram, he's not connected to God. He does evil on the side of God. He's persisting in his sin and he sees the situation and he's in a position where he's given up. We're toast. We're not going to make it. Look what God has done to us. Now God didn't, this isn't the work of God at this point. Somebody didn't plan well. They didn't have water. If they knew they were going to battle, they should have brought the supplies. Jesus taught us that. He taught us about counting the cost and which person going to battle, he even uses the, the illustration, isn't gonna first figure out what he needs to win. 
So there's now a lack of preparation, and Jehoram is quick to blame God. And so Jehoshaphat says, the good king, is there no prophet of the Lord here? So in, in the difficulty of the situation, the king separated from God freaks out about it. But the king connected to God understands we need a word from God. We're in a tough spot. He's in the exact same spot. And he says, isn't there a prophet around here? We need a word from the Lord. That's what it says, that we might inquire the Lord. We need to ask God what, what's going on. We need a prophet. It says in verse 11, one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. And so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. So attacked by Moab, you have this confederacy of nations. They head out, they get to a place where they're in desperation and you can see faith and unbelief active here. Unbelief through Jehoram, he just, what are we gonna do? Alas, what are we gonna do? What's happening here? And then Jehoshaphat representing faith, he says, hey, you know what? I don't know what we're supposed to do, but I do know this. We need to hear from God. That's what we need. We need a word from God. And then one of the servants, hey, Elisha's around here, and they all choose to go down to Elisha. Now, let me just say, this may describe you today, where after seven days, or after seven weeks, or after seven months, or after seven years, you find yourself in a place of service or a place of battle or a place in your life or a place in your singleness or in your place with your family, with your kids, with your job, where you are in a place of drought and you're weary and tired after marching and then coming to find out that there's no provision and you're in a place of drought and tiredness. Because there are those times in all of our lives where we're not as strong as we were, or we're not as confident as we were, seasons we could say of dryness, seasons of drought, seasons of lack, seasons of great needs. And as wonderful it is, and joyful and as glorious it is living for Jesus Christ, it also comes with trials and difficulties and challenges, every single one of us. As a matter of fact, Paul would put it this way, and when he's writing to the believers in the region of Galatia, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, he says it this way. He says, let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Life and difficulties go hand in hand. And of course the new year is going to have challenges. And of course the new year is going to be difficult. And of course the new year is going to take the challenges of the old year and you're going to bring them into the new year and you're going to have more difficulties and more challenges. I mean, it's this 22nd, we're only 22 days into the new year and some of you are already done with the new year. It's already done. Like I, that's, I've had enough. Give, us, give me another year. Give me another number because 2023 has already been hard and it's already been challenging and it's already been difficult. And you have a choice to respond as a man or a woman of faith or to respond as a man or a woman of unbelief. One of our greatest problems, as one author put it, one of our greatest problems in life is that we are unbelieving believers. We're not living 
according to the promises of God and trusting God with our lives. Born again, yes. Living for the Lord, no. Living by faith, no. And so God has brought you to a place where, hey, even if you're like Jehoram and go, alas. And I like how the New Living Translation translated that one word, alas. They basically just said, what should we do? You need to ask the question out loud. What should you do? And the answer will always be, you need a word from the Lord. You need to hear from God. This is not the time to hear about all the opinions of man. It is not the time to start thinking back in your history of how you dealt with it and what can I do and trying to figure it out. It is a time, we are living in a time, we are in a culture, in a time in human history, what the Bible describes as the last days. Church, we need a fresh word from the Lord. That's what you need, and that's what I need, and that's what we need. We are not interested in whatever religion has to offer. We're not interested in whatever people are figuring out and trying to feed us from seminary or all. We don't need, we need to hear from God. You don't even need to hear from a pastor. You don't need to hear from me. You need to hear from the Lord. If God happens to use me, fantastic. But he doesn't need me to give you a word. He has direct access to you. If you'll just have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to you. That's what you need in the new year. A conscious decision. I need the Lord. I need a word from the Lord. And that is, when you get to that place, that is always the beginning of glorious change. When you recognize your present condition and desire to change. That's amazing. That, that, that is the place to be. From glory, as we read in the Psalms today, from strength to strength and glory to glory is what God has for you. Not to settle in some place of complacency and apathy as we saw Zerubbabel had to deal with. Dealing with a bunch of apathetic people that were taking the things that belong to God and spinning it on themselves. Say, oh, we don't need the temple. We don't need a place of worship. God doesn't need that. I, I need that stuff more. No, no, God needs to speak and we need to hear. Now, here's the scenario as it unfolds. This is amazing. So, it says, when Elisha, they go down to Elisha, verse 13. Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. And the king of Israel said to him, no, the Lord's called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Okay, so Elisha comes down and he's kind of a smart aleck. This is a sarcastic. You got to allow the Bible to say what it says. He comes down. He's kind of an interesting prophet. He, he learned and was discipled by Elijah. He receives a double portion of Elijah. And, and Elijah was like this as well. So Elisha is more than what Elijah was. And he comes and looks at the wicked king, the rebellious king. And he says, what are you calling me for? You don't even care about God. Why are you calling me? Why, why don't you call on the false gods of your mom and dad? and the false gods that you have in your life right now. And he's basically looking at him and go, what is it? Is the only time you're going to call on God is when you're in a crunch and when you're in, in a difficulty and when your back is up against the wall? That's basically what he's saying. But then he sees Jehoshaphat there. And what does he say? When he sees Jehoshaphat, he says in verse 14, but as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely would it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, that I would not look at you nor see you. <laughs> Say, hey man, if it wasn't for the good king here, I wouldn't pay any attention to you. I would completely ignore you. 
if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, which leads me to a beautiful reminder is for the Jehoshaphats in our lives, we should thank God. Because of the Jehoshaphats, we experience blessings for the people that are walking with God. You know, we often talk about if you're the Jehoram today and you're persistent in sin, you know, people are going to pay the price for your sin. Do you know that, right? People that are close to you, people that love you, people that are connected to you, people that are watching you, people will pay the price for your sin, Jehoram. But you know what? The other side, if you're Jehoshaphat and your heart is loyal to God, people are going to benefit from you too. People are going to get the benefit of your faith and your faith walk and your life. And so that's what's happening right here. You know what? If it was just you, I'd let you go and you guys could just be thirsty and die of thirst. But because of Jehoshaphat, I'm here and I'm willing to serve you. And then the next thing he says, which is so interesting in verse 15 is, now bring me a musician. Start some music here. Oh, we need some music in the midst of a dry arid desert with military men that are thirsty and probably a little angry and frustrated. I think I would be if I was marching for seven days and there's no water. I'm like, immediately I'm going to think, whose responsibility was that? And then let's find that guy and take care of him and get mad at him. And so there's all kinds of emotion and there's tiredness and there's weariness. And it's just a recipe for disaster. And here's the word of the Lord from Elisha, give me a musician, which probably means a harpist. That's something that they would take with them in a military campaign to soothe, like David did with King Saul, to soothe emotions. But let me tell you this, this call for a musician reminds us today that music is powerful in the hands of the Lord. It's also powerful in the hands of the devil. Music can be used for good, and it can also be used for bad. Why? Because music sets the atmosphere, and it creates an environment. And if you want to hear a word from the Lord, you need to set the stage and prepare yourself to receive. And one way to do that is bring me the musician. You need to put some music on in your life. You know, here's the thing. Put some music on in your life that glorifies God because so much about the music you take in, you don't control. You don't control what they're playing on Safeway. You don't control what's happening in Walmart and the music they choose. You don't control, especially the guy that pulls up to you on Hampton that has his music so loud that you get to enjoy his car music as well. Like, you don't control any of that. Uh, excuse me, sir, can you please change the channel on your... You can't do that. Go to the manager. Would you please change the music? No, it's not your radio. You can't change it. I don't know about you, but in our home, when we're driving, Marie says, whoever's driving gets to control the radio. Is that how you guys? And, and then uh, that's why I don't let her drive. I don't want her controlling. It's like, it's like, 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 like you have to be in a position, church, where you are in an environment to receive the Lord. And let me just say, being here today for 90 minutes is a great choice, but you don't live here. This isn't the environment that you're in. You're going to leave and be in the culture of our world. That's the environment. And then if you allow that into your home and you allow that into your car and you allow that into your ears, no wonder things are harder for you. No wonder. No wonder there's no atmosphere for you. None of, that, none of those songs, are they're not saying, hey, listen for the Lord, glorify the Lord. Many times the music of this world is the exact opposite. 
even some of the things that might be benign, they may not be helping you. They may not be pressing you forward. I mean, this would be a time right here in my notes, insert joke about country music, but it's not there. It's not there. But even in our preferences, you want to know one way, another way that I could say to you that music and Christian music, I mean, I guess you can call it Christian. I don't call it Christian music, non-Christian, but just music that glorifies God. That's probably a better way to put it. You know why it's so powerful? Because there are so many people arguing about it in the church. I, I just don't understand it. Like, I, I'm telling you, like, the, you, you pay attention to the things that Christians argue about, and you will learn very much that's very valuable to God. So get, let's get everybody arguing. I don't like that song. I don't like that music. I don't like that. I don't like that. And all the while, while you're living in your own world and not liking anything, you're not being used by the Lord. Oh, I am being used by the Lord, Ed. I'm arguing about music and I'm fighting a fight that really doesn't matter. And I'll get to the end of my life and find out I wasted my life. That was a good song after all. Listen, we, we have and have had almost from the beginning of this church a very gifted and anointed man of God who leads us in worship every week, week after week, after week, after week, for years. Surrounding himself with a group of men and women, many teams that support, that also share that musical gifting and the anointing of God to help support that. And this is our philosophy here. Pastor Ian in this season is the worship leader and we trust him and we will follow him wherever he goes. And we, if, if he takes us in a different direction, then we'll deal with that. But he hasn't in all these years that he's served here. We trust him. And, and I, I'm just saying, like, if you are in the place, well, you know, I don't like that music and I wish we sang that. You're just in the wrong environment, man. You are not in the right headspace when you're like that. I'm not saying you can't have preferences, of course, but your preferences, if they hinder you from hearing from the Lord and all you can hear is your preference, you're in the wrong space. And even last night I said this, I said it, you know, like, and what did I wake up to this morning? An email complaining about songs that we sing here. Ah, delete, spam, you're out of here, man. I don't, I don't need that. We've already made the decision. We trust our worship leader. And even if our worship leader makes a mistake, and we, even if he and I make a mistake together, we will repent, ask for forgiveness, and we'll move on. We will not argue about it and invite you. Listen, we invite you to create the environment. Find some, find some music that glorifies God that hits with your preferences and play it on repeat. But stop arguing about it. That's not even the message right now, but I thought it was important that you realize, and again, it doesn't have to be this topic. Like you could argue about all, all kinds of stuff as we, like you just get it, whatever, just stop it. How's that? There's the counsel of the Lord. It's right here in Third uh, Thessalonians or whatever, like here it is. Just stop it. It's not helping the kingdom of God. It's not helping you. And it's okay, you can have preferences. I'm not saying, of course, have preferences all you want. I'm sure there's at least one song out there in the country music uh, genre that glorifies God. Fine, play it. Or two or three. Some of you are going, no, Ed, there's no, don't send them to me, just save them. <laughs> just save them, it doesn't matter. See, the whole point, it doesn't matter. I got music I like, you got music you like, I wanna listen to music that glorifies God, it'll change you. That's what Elisha does. Because notice, music is often connected to anointing. It is often connected to hearing the voice of God. 
That's what it says right here. Notice, bring me a musician. That doesn't make sense. Which, by the way, there's another point here. This doesn't make sense. And many times God's answer to you will be counterintuitive of what you expect. Because if you try to figure it out and you try to see how this is going to work and you use that, you're limited by your resources. And maybe as you're out on the battlefield marching for seven days, 40 miles in the hot Judean wilderness, you don't have any water. It's essential to life. One of your kings is freaking out and he's demoralizing the whole troops. One of the solutions that you probably wouldn't come up with is, hey, can you bring me a musician? I think we need to sing right now. That's probably not on the list of things, but it is on God's. It reminds us of the battle plans that God gave to Joshua in Jericho. March, 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 yell. That was his instruction. March, be quiet. March, 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 be quiet. Six days on the seventh day, scream and yell, and I'll give you the victory. Was it all about the activity or was it about the faith? Trust me. I'll take care of Jericho. You just do what I say. And so here he is. Give me a musician. Give, send the musician. And it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. The hand of the Lord comes upon Elisha. And he said, thus saith the Lord. So in music, singing, it changes the atmosphere. Just in a church service, ready? In a church service, it changes the atmosphere. It's not something to come in late for or leave early or, you know, I don't want to listen to that or any of that. That's not the time. It's changing the atmosphere. It's taking a room now filled with the church and we're all getting our minds in unity on the Lord. It changes the atmosphere. Why? So you can hear, thus saith the Lord. You can hear a word from God. Not just the word of God, which we teach every week, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, not just the word of God, but what the Bible would declare in the original language as a rhema word of God, R-H-E-M-A. When you hear that, that refers to a word from God that's directly to you, specifically, which happens all the time. So you're in a room filled with thousand plus people, you're in a room filled with a thousand plus people and the word of God goes out and hits a thousand people a thousand different ways. How is that even possible? I mean, you're driving home after service. You're saying, what'd you get from the message? What'd you get from the message? You're like, I, I, got, uh, I, I got this word. And then you're saying over here, I got that word. And then at the end, you're like, were we in the same Bible study? Because I didn't hear that. Exactly. Because God had that word for you. It's a rhema word. Not just the logos word. The logos word is the general word of God. Again, the word logos also referred to Jesus Christ incarnate, but it's the rhema word. When the music played, the anointing came. And when the anointing came, the word of God came. And again, listen to the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. Here's the word of God in your great difficulty. Make this valley full of ditches. That's the word of the Lord. To which, if you haven't been ready for the word of God, sometimes his word, you'll just walk away. I'm not digging no ditches. Like, what is God's problem? Dig ditches? We need water. And already, before God says anything, he says, here's the word. Go dig ditches or canals. That's another way, word for ditches could be canals here or even cisterns, deep, deep wells where water can collect the water. Basically, just in the desert, when you have no water, anywhere. Here's the word of God. Go dig some ditches. 
And of course, he follows up with that. In the next verse, he says, Make the valley full of ditches, for thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water, so that your cattle and your animals may drink. Water's coming. You're not going to know when. Very similar to what the early church was told. Stay in Jerusalem till the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Like You'll know when power comes on, but you just stay in Jerusalem till it happens. And then you're like, when's it going to happen? You'll know when you know. Well, it's very similar. All this valley, go ahead and look at all the valley. It's going to be filled with water, but you won't know when. You're not, it's not going to be the typical way. You're not going to feel a storm come in like we do here in Colorado. You're not going to be able to see the storm clouds. You're not going to feel the water come down from heaven. You're not going to be able, this isn't something you're going to be able to go out with your hands and just cup your hands for the rainwater and drink it. This is the way the water is going to come. You won't know when it is, but I'm telling you this, God says, I'm going to fill this valley with water. And if you want to enjoy it, you need to dig ditches. So what you have, you have God's promise, God's part, and then you have man's responsibility, man's part. God is going to fill the valley with water. You don't know when, but the valley is going to be full. So until then, go dig ditches in the dry valley. You don't wait for water drops or anything. You just go and obey God. Take the step and do it. It's very similar to the instruction that was given to Noah. Build a boat. For what? A worldwide flood. What is that? Oh, you'll know it when it comes. Just build the boat, man. Just, and again, no hesitation. He's building, 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 and boom, then that first drop of water. Then you'll know that first drop of water. Dig ditches. That's God's word for us. He wants us to dig some ditches, to be prepared for all that God has for us, to be ready for it. The valley, the, the area, the front range, the state, the country, the world, be filled with water. Water is essential for life for us. But also in the Bible, water often speaks of the Bible, the word of God. Remember, husbands are told to wash their, um, husbands are told to wash their wives with the water of the word. But also water refers to the Holy Spirit many times. Remember, Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, talking about thirst. And he says very practically, if you drink this water, the physical water, you're going to be thirsty forever. But I've got a water for you that when you drink of it, you will never be thirsty again. The spirit of God to fill you and flood you and baptize you. And so here's the word. God has a fresh work in his word. He has a fresh work with the Holy Spirit. Your life is going to be filled with it, but you won't enjoy it unless you dig the ditches and prepare for it. Digging ditches speak to us today of expectation and preparation. If you go into this year the same way you always have, you're going to miss it. Because if you don't dig the ditches, the water's just going to go into the ground. You won't have it. You're not going to suck dirt. It's not going to be that way. I guess you could suck dirt, but it's not going to be the same if you had a ditch ready for it. Like you can go about your own way. You want to suck dirt just to get every ounce of water out of that? You can do that. It's like, if that's the way you want to go, God says, go the way you want to go. You want to be Jehoram? You want to live in unbelief? Go ahead. But I'm telling you this, if you will obey me and dig the ditch, you will enjoy the water and you'll have as much as you need. You'll have as much as you need. How about this? you'll have as much as you want. Because think about this, this instruction to dig ditches. Think about how the different responses would be even in a room like this. Some of you, you go digging. Some of you going, I ain't digging no ditch. Don't have any water then. 
And that's just your response. I'm not doing that's dumb. That doesn't make any sense. I'll just wait it out. I'll just wait for someone else, whatever. And you won't dig. Others of you, you might say, okay, I'll dig a ditch. Okay, okay, I can do that. And you take a little, little shovel and you hide everybody and you're just digging your own little ditch here. Nobody can get it. It's just for you, your little ditch. A lot of the body of Christ is like that today. Just thinking of yourself. Just a little bit for yourself. If God's going to fill the valley, just have a little bit. All I need is a little bit for myself. But that's not the way of Christ. That's not the way of Jesus. What God calls the church to do, you're going to dig a ditch. Dig the best one that you can. And don't just dig one for yourself. You think of others more highly than yourself. You dig a ditch for your neighbor. You dig a ditch for your friend. You dig a ditch for your family. You dig ditches until you can't dig ditches anymore. Not just for yourself. Even so, Jesus would even say, you're thinking about digging ditches. Yes, Lord, that's what I want. Well, you dig one for your enemy too. What? Yeah. Think of your enemies. Think about this world that's also going to suffer the same thing. It's not just for you. I mean, you got to think about the gift that God gave us in the spiritual realm over the last few years. I mean, for almost two years straight, every single service, there was a slide up on the screen behind me that had three words on it. God was trying to teach us something. Patience, preference, and humility. That that is what God desires from his church, among many other things. But what the world in chaos and what the world in confusion and what the world that doesn't have their head on straight and doesn't know how to do things, the world that's oppressive, the world that's filled with injustice, the world that's hurtful and harmful and takes advantage of one another. What does the world need? The world that is selfish needs to meet a believer that shows preference. The world that is impatient and controlling needs to meet a follower of Christ that's long-suffering, patient. And a world that is so puffed up with pride and arrogance needs a believer in a church that's humble and broken and dependent upon God. You see, what, what we've experienced in the last few years as a culture, the pandemic, the worldwide chaos and confusion, God was using to wake his church up. That God was using to wake his church up, but not to what most people think. He was wanting to wake you up to righteousness, to humility, to faith, to live out your faith. I know when things get out of our control, we try to control everything. But God just said, I don't want you to control. You don't control anything. Because that's what God does. Have you noticed? In all the chaos of life and so many things outside of our control, isn't God so gracious to give give us a few things that we can control? For example, you want to dig a ditch? You can do that. He gives you something you can do. There's a lot of things you can't do, but God gives us some things along the way that you can do. And he says, go dig a ditch. This is the word of the Lord. It's a word of faith. It's a word to trust him. Just, hey, the water hasn't come yet. You're not even know when it's going to come. And this guy, Elisha, he's a smart aleck. He's sarcastic. He comes and he's standing there. And we're going to listen to him. Well, he says the word of the Lord. Test him. Go dig some ditches. What's it going to hurt? What's it going to harm? Just step out by faith. They needed a word from the Lord The environment was changed. And the word was, go dig ditches because God is ready to work. It's going to come. Be ready for it. Expectant. Prepared. And not only that, he says in verse 18, this is just a trivial thing, he says, in the sight of the Lord. 
Or in, the new, in another translation, this is just a simple thing. And it reminds us of what we learned with Zerubbabel. Remember, he was given the word. Zerubbabel, he's got this great difficulty. He's came back to rebuild the temple, but the people don't want to help, and they've gone their own way. And so what does God come to? It's not going to be your power. It's not going to be your might, Zerubbabel, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And then on top of that, he says, and you see the mountain, the one that you can't move, you don't know what to do, the mountain? You can talk to that mountain, and I'll move it. You can say, oh, you mountain, who are you? Who are you? And this is it. You know, you're so thirsty. You're so dry. It's so impossible. You don't know what the new year will bring. You're over your head. It's uh, there's, there's just so difficult, so hard, so challenging. It is a simple thing for God to act on your behalf. It is not as hard. God is not fretting over your problem. He's not worried. He's not pacing in heaven. I don't know what to do. Well, Peter, what are we going to do? I don't know. They got themselves in such a mess, I don't know. No, he's not, he's not, he's not Jehoram. God is not Jehoshaphat. The Bible says God is not a man. He's almighty God. All power and authority and strength has been given to Jesus Christ. And you can cast your cares upon him and he cares for you. It's a simple thing, church. It is a simple thing. Dig the ditches because it's in the ditches that you're going to learn how to trust me with every scoop of dirt. You're responding and God is going to be faithful. He wants to see our faith at work. He wants us to live with our eyes on him. And he's only going to fill the amount of, of ditches that you dig. That You're only going to enjoy what you have claimed and taken for yourself through obedience. You know, God invites us to participate with him, to cooperate with him. And that's a beautiful thing, to cooperate with him. Don't, don't you want to cooperate with God? Say yes or no. Yes? No? Cooperate. Isn't that a great soft word? Let's all cooperate with God, church. And you can smile with that. You're just like, oh, so say amen after this if you agree with me. Let's all cooperate with God, church. Okay, cooperation's a great word. You all agree it's a nice word? You want to adopt it into your life? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, let me give you the Bible word and let's see if you're so excited. Cooperation, according to God, is your obedience. Oh, not so many amens. There's a few, but obedience. You want to experience the fullness that God has for you? Obey him. Jesus said as much, didn't he? He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's a manifestation of love is obedience. That's true agape love. When we receive the agape love of God, our response is obedience. And maybe you're like Jehoram where you're persisting in your sin, which could also say you're persisting in your disobedience. And no, no wonder digging ditches isn't, a, isn't really attractive to you. No wonder the environment around you. You don't want a, an environment that glorifies God because it reminds you of your distance from God. Like no wonder you're in the condition that you are right now. You, want, you say you want to cooperate with him, then obey him. Listen, I'm not telling you to obey me. I'm not telling you to obey some church doctrine or with some man made up or whatever. I'm not, I'm not. God has thus saith the Lord. You obey his word. He will lead you and guide you. Obey him. 
He will give you the direction you need. Your spirit will bear witness. If I'm teaching, if I'm exercising the gift of pastor teacher from the Bible that I have open here, let me, and you're born again, I'll tell you right now, your spirit will bear witness with my spirit that bears wisdom with the Holy Spirit and you can obey that word. <laughs> you don't need to follow man. You don't, you don't need a pastor in your life or a priest to tell you what to do. You're born again. You have the spirit of God inside of you. Obey him. And I don't know why it is the word nevertheless. Listen, this is what it sounds like in your life. God has told you what to do. Nevertheless, you chose not to do it. Take responsibility. Repent. Repent. God is wanting to work in you in large ways, small ways. But you got to dig the ditches, church. Do your part. Repentance, obedience. Dig the ditch of repentance. Dig the ditch of obedience. Dig the ditch of reading your Bible. Dig the ditch of prayer. Dig the ditch of partaking in communion. Dig the ditch of being in fellowship. Dig the ditch of walking in humility. Dig the ditch of admitting when you're wrong. Dig the ditch of dismissing your opinions. I mean, you can see that there are many things that you can develop in your life to be ready to be replaced with the living water of God. The days are short and the coming of the Lord is at hand. I mean, just yesterday morning, I received news of yet another very well-used man of God. Worldwide was his impact, pastor, who was dismissed and fired from his church because of rampant sexual immorality. And my response, as people ask me what my response was, I'm mad, I'm angry, but maybe not the way you think. I'm not mad at him. I'm mad at the devil taking another strong man. I, I, and it doesn't matter how he got there. We'll get to that later. Like the woman in, uh, that was caught in the midst of adultery, like, like, we'll deal with the, the details later. Right now, she needs to be ministered to. This guy's marriage is dissolved. He's got kids, and he's literally got thousands and thousands of people. No doubt even you have been connected to this man through singing of songs that he wrote. And now he has thrown it all away, and it makes me mad that the enemy took another strong man away from the kingdom. It would make me equally mad if God took a, or if the enemy took another strong woman away. Like we've got to be able to remember that our enemy, he's real. And we're not ignorant of his devices. You know, none of us are sinless. You know that. Maybe it's something you need to admit. I wasn't sure, you know, to share this, not share this, because it's, it's, it's just embarrassing to obey the command that James gives to confess your sins to one another. And I felt burdened to do it uh, last night, and I'm just feeling it again now, and so I'll just share it. I got an email yesterday morning. This is my own life right now, just me. Mr. Pastor in the pulpit, and, you know, God, I get to be used of him. That's really what it amounts to. But I get an email yesterday from a man that I haven't heard from in years, it takes us back, takes me back 30 years ago to a home Bible study I taught in California. That's how I met him, served at the church with him. 
And he wanted to let me know that a family that I knew and haven't spoken to in 25 years, um, that their son passed away tragically on Friday. And could I reach out to him? And so, you know, um, I responded to it and I said, I'll pray and I'll reach out to him. But I had one thought that it's embarrassing to share, but I had this thought like I was upset. Like I, and then so I told the Lord, I said, am I the guy now that everybody calls when their son dies? And then I just kind of prayed it through and, and waited through the day. And, and eventually in the evening, like I repented, like, what am I thinking? Of course I'm that guy. That's what God's doing in my life. Of course I'm that guy. And by the time I made the call in the evening, there was an apology. I'm sorry I called you. Like, I finally called the brother that lost his son and prayed with him. This is tragic, like so. And then I also called the brother that I knew, which is his in-law, and I was ministering to him. And, and, and he said, and he even apologized. I'm sorry that I, that I involved you. I'm sorry, but you just came to mind. And it's amazing because I don't check my email on the weekends, but I felt a burden to check it yesterday morning. And I'm just like, dealing. What, what am I thinking? What kind of person am I? Like, well, of course I'm that guy. But, but by the time time that morning that dumb thought like like it, that thought let's just put it in the right context that was a sinful thought that was not from the lord that was a demonic attack upon my mind that i said it i thought it myself by the time in that evening the lord is so gracious not only did he use me but for my brother that i spoke to i could say you know what he said, I'm so sorry, whatever he said exactly. And I said, look, bro, I was put on the planet to read your email and to reach out to my friend that I haven't talked to in 20 years. You know, sin is embarrassing. You might think, oh, Ed, you know, he's a pastor. He never, no, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, of course, what you're going through, God is going to send you people, of course. But if you're not careful, You'll believe the lies of the enemy. And you can't blame it on the devil. I'm not even advocating. Oh, it's all the devil's fault. No, I didn't reject that thought right away. I played around in my mind. I go, oh, you know, who, who, would, want, who would want to be in the club that I'm in? I know some of you are, but who wants to be in that group? Nobody wants to be in it. But you know what? Where we are, we are by the grace of God. So church, listen. You've got to dig ditches or the enemy will take you out and he will wipe you out. He can also restore you very quickly if you just repent. <laughs> he can change your heart in a heartbeat. Maybe you've been upset with God. Maybe you've been upset with your place in life. Maybe you've been upset with this. Maybe you've been upset and even out of your mouth. Maybe, maybe you've even been disillusioned with God. You know, a lot of that, people will become very disillusioned with God. They'll be upset because you know how it works. You have these expectations of God, and then these expectations become prayer of God. And then when God doesn't answer the prayer according to your expectation, guess who gets blamed? God. Oh, it's all God's fault. He didn't do this for me, and he didn't do that for me. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. When we come to God, we come and surrender. We don't tell him what to do and then get mad at him when he doesn't do what we tell him what to do. 
but that's a real emotion. And so I asked, I remembered last night uh, this book that we have downstairs that will really help you if this is you right now. If you're disillusioned, you're upset with God, you're blaming God, you're disappointed with God, everything about that. If that's your place, there's a book called The Prisoner in the Third Cell. We have it downstairs. Prisoner in the Third Cell. And it goes through, it's a very easy read. He kind of read, he writes it like a play, like with acts and things. It's very easy to read, read it in fact. But it's the true story of John the Baptist, remember sitting in prison, about ready to get his head cut off. And what is he thinking? Are you really Messiah? Because if you were Messiah, I wouldn't be, in, if you're my cousin and my Messiah, I wouldn't be in prison about ready to get my head cut off. And he's dealing with those emotions. It's the same author, by the way, that wrote the book, A Tale of Three Kings, so if you've ever been hurt in a church, you've ever been hurt by a pastor or a spiritual leader, Tale of Three Kings is a great resource to have to learn you to get your eyes back on the Lord because we're all going to be hurt. We're all going to make mistakes. That happens, even really purposeful things, you know. So each, either one of these would be helpful for you. But here's the thing, church. God is calling you to dig ditches. You can admit that you've sinned. You could take the step because there's freedom. There's freedom. Freedom available to you. Your heart's dry, thirsty, you're weak. It's, you got some weird thought. You got some weird thing going. Look, just come to the Lord. Maybe you first put on some music, fill your house with the worship of the Lord, man. Make sure your car is filled with the worship of the Lord. Because I know some of you, you're filled, your car's filled with stuff that ain't taking you anywhere near Jesus. And no wonder you're so angst and upset and I can't believe this world. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word by one, no means pass away, Jesus said. It's like, whatever the new thing is they're going to talk about, you can set it aside, set the atmosphere and the environment for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. You want a new year? Then enter into it in a new way and let the Lord do a fresh work in your heart. Amen? Father, thank you for the privilege of being a part of this church family and, and even being able to be honest and open about things that happen in our hearts and our minds, that we might walk in the newness of life, and that we wouldn't doubt or be upset, or we would just trust you with our lives. And we now have the privilege of following our worship shepherd here to respond. so that you might increase and we might decrease. And give us the shovel, Lord. We might dig the ditches in anticipation of all that you want to do this year. In Jesus' name. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.